Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Untrue or excessive use of light. So it's artificial light that is excessive or artificial. It's false. And so what happens, you can't see the stars, right? So a lot of us are like, oh, I think there's a lot of there. We see these pictures of, of the constellation. But until you've gone somewhere where there's not light pollution, you've never really experienced all of the stars just out in all of their brilliance. And so the first time it happened for me, we, my brother and I have one brother. That's the only sibling I have. And my mom, she was a single mom. And so we had to move or she thought we had to move, so we went from California, and I went to live in Florida for five years. The plan wasn't five years, but it ended up being five years. So the way we got there, she, she said, you know what, let's just take, let's take the truck. So our family had this little Datsun truck, and it, I never remember having a shell, but I'm pretty sure we got a shell for this trip, and it's one of those tiny ones. If you're young, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're older, you know what I'm talking about. It's, like a, it's almost like a Tacoma truck, except it's like its poor younger brother. And so we got in this car, and we went across the country. And we went up to Utah because it was this kind of rounded place, and we were looking for every inexpensive place to stay. But my mom also wanted to expose us to all these beautiful things. So she took us to Utah, and we roll in at night, and we turn off the car lights. Boom. We were at Zion, Zion National Park. It is stunning. Couldn't see the park because it was night. But when you look up, I'm like, whoa, why have I never seen these before? Why could I not see? I mean, not only could you see the stars, but you could see colors in the sky. Did you know that? There's colors in the sky. It's not just like black and some little white dots. And it's all just there in all of its glory. And it was, as, a, as a six-year-old kid, I was just overwhelmed with what I was looking at. Because all of the light pollution was taken away. And here's the thing about Easter. Some of us, when Easter comes, we can, we can say this. He's risen! We're all excited. and We're all pumped up. It's like we could see the fullness of it. We could see all of the light of Easter. But I don't know anyone who lives that way all the time. I just don't. I don't know if that's realistic. But... There is that truth. The star is always shining. Jesus is always risen. It's always going on. And sometimes we can see it and sometimes we can't. But some of us, like he's risen? It's like there's always that little question mark. Did he really rise from the dead? And we've been talking about that a lot over the past few weeks, the evidence for the resurrection. Because for me, I needed to know that. But then for a lot of us, it's this. He's risen. It's there but there's no bold to it. There's no exclamation mark. It's just one of those things. It's almost as if there's something that's clouding or polluting being able to see the fullness of what it means that Jesus came and lived and died and then rose again. As we talked about, the whole theme for the series is that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. The early church, as we've talked about time and time again, it grew People were giving up their lives, and they didn't even have Bibles, which blows our mind. Wait, how, what, how did that? Because it was not based on a book. It was based on an event. 
It was based on them realizing that Jesus really was the Messiah. He really was the Son of God and that he really rose from the dead. And when there were all of those eyewitnesses that saw this time and time again, they went around and told everybody else and then the Holy Spirit began changing people's lives and moving. And yet, there's one guy that would talk about this all the time, Peter. In fact, if you go through Acts, he's standing up with all this boldness. But when the resurrection happened, he walked around, well, like this. He's risen. He knew it. In fact, he had two experiences with the risen Lord. And yet, even after those two experiences, he was still walking around almost depressed, almost down. And as we look at this season, and for this morning especially, as we look at this resurrection, we have to be honest that there might be something that is, I like the way someone described light pollution because I think it also describes sometimes why our, our excitement or our understanding of the resurrection is muted. It's because, in this definition of light pollution, the way they described it was, it's an inappropriate and artificial light that blocks out all the stars. And in Peter's life, there was something that was artificial, and it was inappropriate. When we think about sin, often we think, okay, I'm doing the wrong thing. It's bigger than that. It's sometimes thinking the wrong thing, believing the wrong thing. It's a wrongness. And so Peter was wrapped up in this wrongness, and so he couldn't fully see the light. And so I want us to slow down and take a look at this. This is one of my most exciting things about Peter's life because I can relate with it. And I think a lot of us can relate with it, whether it regards the resurrection or just this new life that he's offering us. Because Some of us aren't set free like Peter. So I want to set this up. Um, if you could, we're going to bounce all over. But if you want to try to keep up, I'll tell you where we're at. We're going to start in Mark 14 because, like I said, Peter witnesses Jesus risen from the dead, but something's missing. But... Before Jesus was betrayed, before he went to the cross, Peter said, he, he did this big promise. So he promised high, but he delivered low. You ever experienced that? You know how we say this in business sometimes? Hey, promise low and then deliver high. Well, he did the opposite. So this is what he said. He said, hey, look, I know you say that you're going to go to the cross, you're going to die, but if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. So he says, no, you're going to blow it. And this is what's going to happen. Okay, spoiler alert. Jesus is right. So Peter doubles down. Not only does he say, I'm not going to deny you, but then he jumps in again after Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me. And then after you do it three times, then the cock's going to crow and you're going to go, oh, there it is. So here we go. He says, I will know, Peter declares emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. So what happens is, as most of you know the story, it's what Good Friday is about. We talk about Jesus going to the cross. A little side note about Good Friday. I am so pumped for what we're doing for Good Friday coming up. Because what we're going to do is, there's not going to be people talking to us. 
We're going to have different stations set up because we want you to go and experience this idea of confession, this idea of forgiveness, and this idea of moving forward. And so Jesus is being led to the cross, this Good Friday. And so as he's being led to the cross, Peter is like walking around like a ninja. He's falling behind. He doesn't want to get right into the action right away, so he's in the back. And they go into the courtyard, and Jesus is being um, basically interrogated by Caiaphas, the high priest. And Peter's in the background. He goes to this courtyard, and he says, in this courtyard, this little girl comes up to him. She's like, wait a minute. Weren't you with him? As Jesus gets interrogating on his way to death, and so Peter, this bold man, he says, I will never deny you. And then doubles down and says it again. He says, I never knew the man. I don't know who it is. And then someone else asks. This guy asks. And then pretty soon they're all like, wait, you're one of the Galileans. We know it. And he goes, I never knew the man. And I love the way that Luke describes it here. He says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So while Jesus is dealing with Caiaphas and Peter is down because it's a downward motion. He's down in the courtyard. As this happens, the cock crows because he denied him three times. And as soon as that, it's like an alarm bell goes off. And Peter looks up and Jesus is making eye contact with him as he denies him. How would you feel if you were Peter? Have you ever been there? Where you promised high and delivered low? Where you thought you were here, but then you realize you're really here? And so Peter, it says, in Mark, says he broke down and wept. And actually in Luke, it says that he bitterly wept. Not the kind of like, oh, tears are coming down my eyes. It's like, Chris, you know what I mean. I mean, I'm sure she's a perfect baby. But there have been times maybe where she was just shaking. (laughs) Well, has there been times when she's been crying and then you are snot crying because you can't, yeah. I'm talking like the overwhelming, just unbelievable, but sadness, disappointment, feeling like you're a liar, you're a poor friend, you're flawed. Have you been there? Maybe the snot bubbles didn't come out. Maybe the tears didn't even come out, but maybe you just knew that's where I'm at. And that fog of pollution, that excessive, inappropriate, artificialness came over and blocked you from anything that was true outside because of the way that you saw yourself. So Peter, he's now deep in this. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. Peter doesn't even go. But then Jesus comes back from the dead. You would think that this would blow up all of that falseness that is floating around in Peter but he can't get over himself he can't get over how he sees himself like I said sin isn't always what you do sometimes it's when you see incorrectly and he sees himself incorrectly and so even though he has sat and stared into the eyes of the risen Lord and knows that he has no fear of death he can't seem to celebrate it He can't seem to be set free. He's still held captive. And that's why when the angels approach Mary, they say, go and tell the disciples, including Peter. 
he singles out Peter. People say that God doesn't love one person more than another. Doesn't seem to be true right here. Why does he single out Peter? Because he loves him more at that moment because Peter needs it. Never doubt the reckless love of God because he knows where we're at. And he knows where we're at so much that he seeks Peter. Does that mean he loves Peter more than the rest of us? No, but Peter needed it more at that moment. Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there, just as he told you before he died. You see, Peter saw him the day after the resurrection. They were in the room, and he had just seen Mary. He was at the tomb, and then they get to see him. And then there's another time, about seven weeks later, when they're um, at Thomas's house. I'm sorry, a week later, they're at Thomas's house, or they're at a house. Thomas is there. I don't really know whose house it is. Could have been Thomas's house. They're at this house, and Thomas comes in, and then Peter's there also, so he gets to witness it a second time. And yet we see here that they're all together a third time. Jesus is not there yet. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And all the other guys are around him. They're like, hey, we're going to come too. So they went out on the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now for us, we think, oh, Peter and the boys, they went fishing. They must have packed a cooler of beer. They picked up some sub sandwiches, and they went out to go fishing. No, this is Peter's job. In fact, the guys around there, most of them, it's their job. He's a commercial fisherman. Jesus set them free from that. In fact, they left their boat on the shoreline, left that career to go and follow Jesus. Jesus risen. They've seen him twice, and yet Peter just can't get over it. That cloud is so heavy that he's walking in this murkiness, and so he goes back to the, the only thing he's ever known. What do you do when you just have that, that weight, that darkness, that pressure on your chest, that melancholy, when you see yourself a certain way? It may be untrue, but that's what you see. Well, you cover it up, you drown it out, you ignore it, and that's what Peter does here. So they go out and they go fishing. But this is what I love about this whole picture of what's happening here. Because they're out fishing. They catch nothing. They're out all night. And if you've read the New Testament or you've been here enough, you've heard us talk about this other time. You're like, wait, I remember this time when he went out fishing and they caught nothing and then Jesus said, Jesus is using this moment, this fishing moment, the third appearance that he has in front of Peter that we know of. Because he needs to pull Peter out of this pollution. He, he needs to pull him out of this falseness, out of this artificialness. The way, what he is seeing is incorrect, and he needs to be pulled out. And so this, Jesus shows the perfect time to show up, and he uses a moment that happened before to remind him of who he is and who he's called to be. So at dawn, after they've gone out all night, caught nothing, Going back to his old ways, his old life, Jesus was standing on the beach and he called out, hey, I like the way the New Living Translation said this, so I used it. Hey, fellows, anyone ever use that phrase before? I've never used it. I may try it this week. But by the New Living Translation, he says, oh, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. 
You see, the morning that Jesus first called Peter to be a disciple, this exact same thing happened. Peter and the other disciples, pre-disciples, were on the beach, and they were cleaning out their nets because they'd caught nothing, and Jesus just walks over. He ain't a fisherman. He's the carpenter. He's a rabbi. He walks up. Hey, you guys, let's go back out fishing. Let's catch something. (laughs) You ever been in a field where you know what you're doing, and someone else that doesn't know what they're doing walks up and tells you what you should be doing? (laughs) Peter doesn't argue. He says, well, because you're the Lord, (laughs) let's go do this because it's you And so they go back out fishing, and they catch so much fish that the the nets are bursting. And I love the response that Peter has the first time this happens. Not this time, the first time it happens. Not after he rose from the dead, but when he first made the decision to become a disciple. When they left their boats on the shoreline, after they had all those fish, Peter said, get away from me. Because he realized this wasn't just some man, this wasn't just some rabbi, but this was God himself. I don't know how Peter realized that from this experience, but he knew it. And he said this. He said, depart from me, because I am a sinner. But it's a different response. It's not like the pollution. He just realized, whoa, you're God. And it's just so overwhelming that he just kind of, he basically bows down to Jesus. I've had that happen only a few times in my life where I was so overwhelmed with God's presence. And when it happened, everything else washes away and you feel like, oh, I am unworthy. But you don't feel dirty. You don't feel like a failure. You just realize his holiness. And you realize I'm in front of holiness. And so Peter realizes that. So this entire scene is here. Where they go out, they don't catch any fish, and so here we are now, way far forward, three years later. (coughs) And Jesus says, fellows, have you caught any fish? No. Then he says, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. You think that would click Peter right then, right? You think right away, he'd be like, wait, this is familiar, we've done this before. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Jesus says this on the beach. Peter jumps out, jumps out of the boat. He's just so overwhelmed, he jumps out of the boat, which really makes no sense, swims all the way to the beach. They have the the fire going there, and now there's an intimate moment with just Jesus and Peter. Now, I want you to notice how it keeps saying Simon and Peter. Peter was not his middle name. It was a name that Jesus gave him. It means the rock. And he said, on the truth that you have stated, that I am the Messiah, I will build my church, like building on a rock. I'm going to give you this name. And yet Peter's walking around acting like nothing but, nothing like a rock, nothing like what to build something on. He's walking around broken because of his failure, his perceived failure. But Jesus is going to take him on a line of questioning that will not allow him to bury his actions, not allow him to cover it up or to repress it, but to bring it to the light so it can be dealt with, to have this infection, this pollution come to the surface so it can be dealt with. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, so Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So he gives him a job. 
and feed my lambs. Now, there are not lambs walking around the beach. He's talking about his people. He's talking about us. Feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? As if he didn't hear him the first time, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. But then there's a third time. And the numbers are very important to this culture, to these people. Jesus asked them three times for a reason. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Why would he be hurt? Because Peter denied him three times. He caught on what Jesus was trying to bring to the surface. It brought up all of those memories of denying. I'll never deny you, but I did. So you think that would be the time for Jesus to go, okay, well, okay, let me hear it. Come on, defend yourself, fix this, beg for my forgiveness, but Jesus doesn't do that. He already did, but Peter doesn't know that. Peter thinks he has to keep rehashing and dealing with this, and he doesn't want to deal with it. It's already been taken care of. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I wish we had time to go through all the different ways that Peter uses that word love. But this time when he uses love, it's that unconditional agape love. I'm yours. I love you. So Jesus gives him a job. Then feed my sheep. He does this not to punish him. Jesus does this because he wants this pollution, this infection to come to the surface so it can be healed, so it can be taken away, so that Peter can be set free. There's only one purpose to bring attention to this poison. It's to heal him. To heal him, and by healing him, Peter can become who he was meant to be. He can see clearly. He doesn't have any more of that pollution, that artificialness that's getting in the way. I don't know what it is in your life, but we always seem to veer away from the light. We have restless hearts. We get lost. That's what it means to get lost. And Peter is lost here. But Peter's life turns upside down at this point. He goes on to do these amazing, bold things. Shortly after this, he's giving this sermon in front of all of the enemies that have crucified Christ. And thousands of people are making a decision now to follow Jesus, to leave their boats on the shoreline, so to speak, and they're they're surrendering. They can see clearly because of Peter's words, because the Holy Spirit is working with Peter and empowering him, but it's his boldness that allows all this to happen. And then later, Peter goes on in front of Caiaphas, who's the same person that was up high that was condemning Jesus to the cross, and as this is all happening, Peter's down here denying, and then it comes to the point where Peter now is in front of Caiaphas, and he knows what can happen, and yet with boldness, he says, you crucified Christ, the Messiah, you crucified him. 
Where did this boldness come from? He was set free. Because he could see clearly. Because all of the falseness, all the infection, all the untruth, all the guilt and all the shame was removed. Now maybe that's not what is polluting you right now. I don't know what it is. Whatever is artificial, whatever is excessive, whatever is inappropriate, whether it be thoughts or actions that are getting in the way of you being able to see the fullness of God and the fullness of what this means that Jesus rose from the dead, he wants to set you free. And so we're going to take communion. If we could, we're, we're gonna, they're, they're set up on these two stations over here, and you're going to go at any time during the next three songs. But this time is a time of examination, and this is what I mean by that. Um, when Paul was describing communion, this is how he described it. He said, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. What do you think it was like for Peter? Every time with all of the believers, they took communion together. As he remembered the body being broken, the blood being shed, and realizing this is the new agreement. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what I have done. I have set you free. So live that way. And then Paul says this. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Now the situation that Paul's addressing at this time, they would come together and eat, have full-on meals when they would take communion. And so people would, (laughs) they would be like a bunch of teenage boys. They'd come, they wouldn't eat before they'd come, and they'd eat all of it. And they'd fight for the food so there wasn't enough left for others. (laughs) They kind of forgot what it was about. And so he's saying, look, you guys are missing the point here. So Paul is saying, look, you should examine yourself, everything. For them, it was the greed in their heart. But for, I don't know what it is for you, but take this time and examine your heart before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So you'll go and you'll grab the bread, remembering his body broken for you, and you'll dip it into the drink, remembering that it is blood shed for you for a new agreement, that it's what he has done, not what we do, that sets us right. And while you're doing that, examine. Say, Lord, what do you want me to see? Is there anything that's polluting me from seeing the glory of who you are and this life that you set me free for? Am I preoccupied with other things? Am I worried? Am I stressed? Am I afraid? Is there anything inappropriate or excessive like that that's in the way? For me, the past few weeks, it's been this this fear. I'm not usually that much of a fearful guy, but I've got to lay that before the Lord and go, this is getting in the way, and I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm handing it to you. Notice that when Peter was with Jesus, Peter didn't do much. Jesus did all the work. We surrendered to him and said, Lord, you got to take care of this. I've done what I know how. Whatever, I need your help. Set me free. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. 
And look at this. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And some have even died. The thing that Peter is dealing with, the thing that so many of us deal with, is so powerful, it can make you sick. Literally give you the flu. Literally give you disease. Literally break you down. God wants to set you free from all of that. His death and resurrection is all part of that healing and being set free. So we're going to take communion together. I want to invite the worship team up, please. And here's another beautiful thing for this morning. Um, Bryn and the children's team have been working with a lot of the kids that said they wanted to um, learn about communion and taking it. And so in the back, we have a lot of the kids that have gone through this, and they're going to be taking communion this morning. For many of them, the first time ever. And so this is a holy time, not just for them, but for all of us. And my hope and prayer for us as a community of faith, and, and my hope and prayer is that you will share this with others, is that God has done the work and that we just have to take this pollution, this artificialness, this inappropriateness, and just lay it before him and let him deal with it. So if you could stand with me, if you're willing or able. And I want to pray for us. Father God, we surrender the best we know how. Father, we do this in remembrance of you. And we will examine our hearts and our minds and our lives, but please give us eyes to see. We ask for this gift in the name of Jesus. So at any time during one of the next two songs, um, feel free to go and partake and use that time to examine but then take. God always intended for us to take this gift that he's given us. And Lord, we just come before you and praise you for who you are and just for conquering death, for rising again on the third day, Lord, giving us life and hope everlasting. Amen. Hey there. So I get to close, and um, I always get cool stuff that happens during the week that hopefully relates to what Bug's going to preach on. So I had this moment during the week where I had uh, someone who I care about a lot they were asking me for forgiveness. And uh, like, it, and it didn't seem like I needed, like to me, to say, yeah, you're forgiven. <clears throat> because I, I love that person and they should know that. So why do I have to tell them like, yeah, okay, you're sorry, okay, we're good. You know, I, and I think of, the three times, like, Jesus asked Peter. I think it was, like, more of a press to unlock 
like the realization to Peter, like, dude, I, okay, you blew it, but I love you and it's okay. And I uh, sit in there and I, th- I thought of Romans 8.39. Neither heart, nor, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for people that we care about, like I think, like I want that person to know that, like nothing can can separate you from my love, like nothing. So, and then on the topic of um, communion, I found a quote from Matthew Henry. He wrote a couple. He wrote a commentary or two. Um, communion is to be done in remembrance of Christ, to keep fresh in our minds His dying for us, as well as to remember Christ pleading for us in virtue of His death at God's right hand. It is not merely in remembrance of Christ, of what He has done and suffered but to celebrate his grace in our redemption. So I think that's a huge point, like to, to celebrate that grace. Like, wow. And I think that's what Bug was saying at the end, like with Peter, like every time he shared communion with the boys, it like, man, this is heavy for me. Like he truly personally experienced that. And hopefully we can truly experience that for ourselves, like to really understand that grace. So I'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace you bestowed on us. Um, Help us to not just think of the broken and the broken body and the blood, but to celebrate what it accomplished. Um, ask you to bless the people here. Let them, let them think about you and what you've done as we get ready for Easter and your, your resurrection. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.